something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. First things first, this is about truth-telling. I have no agenda. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah! This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Prep taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes I push the limit till it break The heart of the brave The soul of a legend With the will to be great Hold up Welcome <laughs> The aftermath of Damian Lillard getting traded A big time fight coming up this weekend A big time fight coming up next month and a whole bunch of other stuff to talk about, including marriage. Yeah, I'm going there again. The Stephen A. Smith Show coming your way right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you as I, I love to do at the very least every Monday, Wednesday and Friday over the digital airways of YouTube. We're here in my studio. Thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Actually, I'm on the road, but this is a road studio that I use. So let me clarify that position. By the way, just want to take a moment to thank everybody for uh, following the show. Uh, the subscribers keep building, building uh, over a thousand every single day. Um, I'm nearly three. I'm nearly to 325,000 subscribers as we speak. Uh, all of that pretty much accumulated over the last six months. Can't thank y'all enough for the love and support. All I can do is ask you to keep it coming and I'll keep on coming. So make sure to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith show on YouTube. Click the bell to get notified of all of our new content. And be sure, by the way, to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter. A memoir of second chances and first takes. Let me revisit 
the subject of the Damian Lillard trade on a couple of fronts. Number one, because I want to make sure that people aren't misconstruing what's going on. Obviously, the other day that Damian Lillard was traded uh, this past Wednesday uh, in a blockbuster deal, three-team trade that ultimately landed him in Milwaukee with the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo, elevating the Milwaukee Bucks, no doubt, to a top three contender for the NBA championship this upcoming season. I'm one of those people that don't summarily dismiss the Boston Celtics, I believe, with Jason Tatum, with Jalen Brown, with the acquisition of Chris Stapps Porzingis, albeit at the expense of a Marcus Smart, who I thought was the blood and guts of the Boston Celtics. There's no escaping the fact that Chris Stapps Porzingis is seven feet three, joining Al Horford and Robert Williams on the front line with Tatum and Brown in the lineup with, with Brogdon and Derek White and those boys. There's no denying that the Boston Celtics are a legitimate title contender as far as I'm concerned. The elite title contender coming out of the Eastern Conference. But does Damian Lillard's arrival bring that into question? You're damn right it does. You're damn right it does. Now, to recap, the Portland Trailblazers in return for Damian Lillard got Drew Holiday from Milwaukee, DeAndre Ayton from uh, Phoenix, this guy Tumani Kamara. Uh, the Suns get Yusuf Nurkic, who can score, can't defend to save his damn life, but he can score. Plus, he's considered to be one who has a significantly better attitude than a DeAndre Ayton. And that's something that Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Bill will benefit, benefit from greatly. Grayson Allen can shoot. He's tough. He can play. The Suns got him now, so they've got some bench help, along with Nasir Little and Keon Johnson. Of course, the Milwaukee Bucks got Lillard. Here's my thing. To me, that hasn't really been the story. Certainly, we can make an argument that the Portland Trailblazers did what was best for themselves. And when you think about Joe Cronin, the general manager for the team, there is no denying that this guy that has been associated with the organization for 17 years, started out as an intern, by the way, who's now the GM and has been the GM since I think it was May of 2022. There is no denying that the man did his job and he did a great job. He did a great job because when you consider the fact that you got somebody like the Drew Holidays of the world and the DeAndre Aytons, that clearly serves the best interest of the Portland Trailblazers as a franchise, even though I don't think Drew Holiday will stay there. But we can't deny the fact that the man did a hell of a job and he didn't just give Damian Lillard away for a box of cookies. And there's no question about that. But the reason why I think it's important to be ready to hear from Damian Lillard any day now is because. Damian Lillard is somebody that has stayed on board with the Portland Trailblazers for years, in spite of the fact that everybody, including myself, was imploring him to ask to be traded. He never asked out. He never demanded out. He never wanted out. The Portland Trailblazers, Rip City's his city. Him and his family loves it there. He repped all day, every day. And never wanted to go anywhere else, never wanted to do anything else. He just didn't want to be part of a reclamation project. And we get all of that. And the fact that they drafted Scoot Henderson, who plays the same exact position as him, goes a long way as well. Now, they didn't insult him by doing that. He knew they were going to take him because they were in the, Wimbiana, they were in the Victor Wembyana sweepstakes. And the San Antonio Spurs ended up getting the number one overall pick, not Portland. Portland ended up with the number three pick. And because they ended up with the number three pick, they drafted the best prospect at the guard spot that they could find in Scoot Henderson, who is considered, I mean, NBA body, lightning quick, got skills, can score, upside is great, and there was no way you're going to have him and Damian Lillard playing together 
That's no different than Damian Lillard playing with C.J. McCollum. Well, guess what? They played. They were formidable. They won games. but They weren't going to win no damn championship. And so that's what it was. But again, we can lament that. We can debate that all day, every day, till the cows come home. Here's the story that we have to pay attention to when it comes to Damian Lillard. Was he lied to? Was he lied to? That's what this comes down to, you know. Because you see, when people are out there and they're saying, who the hell does he think he is? Got four years, about $200 million left on this deal. Who the hell does he think he is? Oh, I want, to, I want out of Portland. And I specifically want to go to Miami. Maybe he did. Listen, I don't think he should have given just one team from jump. I think he should have gave them a list of teams. Miami, Boston, Philly, stuff like that. Milwaukee, throw them into the mix. And then make a deal. He should have given them better options. Fair enough. And Joe Cronin and the Blazers under no obligation to handicap their franchise for years to come because you don't make sure you get a deal, a comparable deal or something close to it for your resident superstar. Totally understood. If he wasn't lied to. But if Damian Lillard could have demanded out and Damian Lillard didn't do so, because the Portland Trailblazers said to his face, look, we'll take care of you. And we'll let you go where you want to go if it comes to that point that you want to leave. Now we got a different discussion. See, we don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about that enough. Business is business. Totally true. But when somebody lies to your freaking face, they lie to your face. I'm not saying Joe Cronin did that. I don't know. I don't know the man. I would never accuse him of such a thing. It would be irresponsible for me to do so. But what if Damian Lillard accuses him of it? Are we going to say Damian Lillard's lying? When has he lied to us? See, we got to ask ourselves these questions. Because you got a whole bunch of people out there talking about shit they don't know what they're talking about. Acting like he's supposed to be thankful. Well, yeah, if you just want out and they trade you to a championship contender with Giannis Antetokounmpo as your teammate. By the way, a Giannis Antetokounmpo that you once said was the dude that you want to play with most when you were being interviewed by GQ magazine in 2022. That's what you said, Damian Lillard. That's the teammate I would love to have. That's the dude I would want to play with. Makes total sense. Total sense. And they didn't trade him to some scrub team that was a reclamation project. They traded Damian Lillard to a team where he instantly has a chance to win a championship. At the very least, to get to his first NBA Finals appearance. You have to understand, regardless of what he says, because he's not better than Steph Curry, not in my mind. Outside of Steph Curry, this is the guy that we're looking at in Damian Lillard as the most lethal point guard in the NBA. He is a closer. A closer. So that Damian Lillard right there in a championship scenario where the Milwaukee Bucks aren't reliant on Giannis Antetokounmpo coming downhill, forcing defenders to reel and backpedal, praying he doesn't dunk on their mug, praying he'll pull up for a perimeter shot instead. Oh, that's changed now. Now Giannis Antetokounmpo can literally, the Greek freak can literally come down court and go like this. Here you go. Take us to the promised land. 
Absolutely. So that's not the subject. It's not about basketball. It's about whether or not he was lied to. Because even though he wasn't James Harden who forced his way out of Houston and then forced his way out of Brooklyn and then tried to force his way out of Philly, even though he hasn't been that dude who, by the way, is nearing the end, if James Harden, if you haven't realized that you are, it's not just because of your skill set. You went to Houston and tried to sell yourself as wanting to be the dude that led the league in scoring three or four times years ago. They weren't having it. That's why they went the route of Fred Van Vliet. But that's a different subject for another day. The real issue that's hurting James Harden now is that organizations don't trust him. When's he going to ask out? When's he going to demand out of our franchise? When's he going to force his way out of us? When's he going to come and camp out of shape because he wants out? He don't want to be here no more. He did us once. He bit us once. He bit us twice. He's going to bite us a third time. Fourth time? Houston, Brooklyn, and now Philly. Daryl Morey was once his brother. The GM. The president of basketball operations rather for the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, Harden is on camera and mic'd up in China calling Daryl Morey a liar. I don't know how much that helps his cause. I don't know how much that helps his case. But I will tell you this. It doesn't matter whether it helps or hurts if he's telling the truth. Because what we need to do, what we need to surmise, what we need to come together and rationalize is that, damn it, it ain't okay to be lying to players' face. Spitting in their face, telling them it's raining. And then thinking they ain't going to be pissed about it. You can't do that. You can't do that. So again, I don't know if Joe Cronin lied. But I know all of this muck, uh, muttering about Damian Lillard and how he should be grateful to be in the situation he's in. You are absolutely right from a pure basketball standpoint. But damn it, if that brother was lied to. That's a different matter. And by the way, I understand that Milwaukee can compete for a championship, but Milwaukee did get taken out by Miami in five games, which means going to Miami, which is where Damian Lillard wanted to go, would not have been a slouch either. If you put Dame with Bam out of bio and with Jimmy Butler and those brothers in Miami, if that happened, well, he'd be a contender. Plus, he'd be living in South Beach. Let me tell you what I'm an expert on. Milwaukee. God bless them. God bless that city. But Milwaukee is not South Beach. If you lean on me telling you nothing else, please take that as the gospel. Milwaukee and then Miami. Just trust me, man. Moving on to the next subject. Coach Prime and the Colorado Buffaloes are taking on sixth-ranked USC this Saturday. The Buffaloes are 21-and-a-half-point underdogs at home in Boulder, Colorado. We know what just happened to them this past weekend, right? When they went to Oregon and they got blitzed. They were down 35 to nothing at the half. They lost the game 42-6. to Probably ruined any chance 
that star Shador Sanders, the son of, of the coach, Deion Sanders, has of winning a Heisman. But um, let me say this real quick because there's two points that need to be made, one shorter than the other. First quick point. It's a whole bunch of people out there rooting for primetime Deion Sanders to fall on his face. Y'all do understand that he's already more successful than they were last year, right, when they went 1-11 without him. Y'all do understand that, don't y'all? Y'all do understand that we're talking about one of the greatest competitors, arguably the greatest athlete in American history. By the way, a champion, two times over, a Hall of Famer, and universally recognized the greatest cornerback in the history of the National Football League. You do understand that you've tugged on a competitive fervor of this man, right? And Dion going to make a whole bunch of people pay. Now I understood Oregon's coach going off the way that he did. We, we, we don't win the game on clicks and on social media. We win the game on the grass. We get all of that. He was recruiting. We understand that. He did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. But all I could think about was, what if Deion Sanders had those seven or eight dogs that he says he's away from really, really being to that upper level? What if Deion said, see, I don't know if you're going to get them. If he could get them to come to Boulder, Colorado, that would be sensational. Me personally, if Deion Sanders had the opportunity, University of Florida, because Florida State, his alma mater, snubbed him, I'd love to see him there, or I'd love to see him at Texas A&M. That's oil money down there. That's oil money. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But to get back to a deeper story, you got people that were rooting for primetime Deion Sanders, ready to rub it in his face. I wonder why that is. I wonder why that is. Because you got some people that are big time resentful of the attention that he was getting. It doesn't have to be a black and white thing. It could be a publicity thing. Why is he getting all this attention? We want it. We deserve it. We're better than him. Could be that. But no matter what it is, the reality of the situation is it raised a lot of eyebrows in the black community to watch people celebrating Dion's demise last weekend the way they did. And that coach for Oregon, remember, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. And I trust his words about motivating his players and stuff like that. I'm just saying people in his fraternity, contemporaries, who look a little bit like him, I think it's safe to say it's a little something extra for them. really think it's safe to say that. By the way, though, I'm glad this story, this is a beautiful story right here, because this was addressed. Remember during the Colorado-Colorado State game a couple of weeks back, Travis Hunter got knocked out of the game, had a lacerated liver, courtesy of, of a hit by Henry Blackburn. And because of that hit that Henry Blackburn for Colorado State laid on Travis Hunter, there were actually folks out there sending death threats to Henry Blackburn, which is ridiculous. See, some people, some punk-ass people out there, I swear they're so punks. 
So they can say anything on social media, have you scared and all this other stuff, playing a football game. Nevertheless, here's what happened. The two of them got together. I don't know whether it was on a podcast or they just filmed it or whatever the case may be, but they got together, Travis Hunter and Henry Blackburn. I want y'all to take a look at this. Now, these are kids, mind you, young adults, but kids to the eyes in the eyes of most. And look at how they conduct themselves. Check it out. We got a special guest. Come on in, man. What's up with you? What up? How we doing? How we doing? Good. You know, I was just making sure my, 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 my guy's straight. Yeah. You know, just making sure he's good, checking in with him. I know we, we talk after the game on the phone and then through yeah. the DMs and stuff. And made, made this happen for the yeah. people that love to see negativity. This ain't a negative video, man. It's great positive. I feel like if that didn't happen, we wouldn't be here right now. So yeah. it's a blessing that that happened. Yeah. So now we can, we can show people the other side of football. Amen. Amen. It's football. It wasn't a cheap shot. It might have been an excessive hit. It might have even been a hit that Blackburn should have been ejected for. But it was in the context of football, you damn idiots. I'm talking about those who are throwing out death threats. That's who I'm calling idiots. The worst words to call you and you deserve it, but I'm not going to do it here. He's playing a football game. And that comes with it. That's controlled violence. That's all that happened. Right? Didn't take out his knees. Didn't lunge into his head and nearly decapitate him. Hit him with a shot in the midsection, above the knees, below the neck. And major, major props to Travis Hunter for embracing it the way it is. You know why he did it, right, y'all? You know why he did it? Because he knew, just like Henry Blackburn knows, there's no cause for threats. There are people out here who simply don't have a life and they're looking for an excuse to have one. And trying to bring fear and rain fear down upon others is what, is what gets them stimulated. They even went bowling afterwards. Even though if I was Travis Hunter, I would chill with the bowling. You had last ready to live. You might want to chill out with all that. Relax. Take your time. Get yourself ready for the football field. And just do it that way. But I'm just happy that they worked it out. I'm happy that all of that is okay. And I just wanted to say it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's a damn shame when youngsters have to show grownups how to act like grownups. We're supposed to be teaching them. And far more often than not, these young kids are teaching us. Let me move on to my next subject because former UFC heavyweight champion of the world, Francis Ngannou is training with boxing legend Mike Tyson for his fight with Tyson Fury. I believe the date is October 28th. Um, I've heard a lot of noise about his sparring. Here's what I told my producers. I don't want to see the video up front. I want to see it live. I want to watch it while everybody else is watching it. I want to see it in real time so I can react to what I'm seeing. Francis Ngannou is not a boxer. He's a champion in the heavyweight division in MMA. If he was in the octagon with Tyson Fury, he'd take him out in 30 seconds. But because this is boxing, what do you think Tyson Fury is going to do to him? Tyson Fury is ESPN's number seven pound-for-pound pound boxer on the planet. And Gano has no professional boxing experience whatsoever. Both men weigh about 270 pounds. And Gano's MMA record was 17-3, 16 stoppage wins, 12 KOs, 4 submissions. 
Fury's boxing record is undefeated, 33-0-1. That one tie was with Deontay Wilder, their first fight of their trilogy. Tyson Fury won the next two, 24 knockouts. And by the way, per ESPN, Fury and uh, Alexander Usyk have signed contracts for an undisputed heavyweight championship fight in Saudi Arabia for December 23rd or sometime in January. I mean, damn. Talk about expecting nothing from Francis Ngannou. Why would you do this if you're Tyson Fury? Clearly, you're not expecting any Francis Ngannou to cause you any kind of problems whatsoever, right? By the way, Usyk is ranked number three, pound for pound. Fury is ranked number seven. I don't know how that's possible. Usyk should not be ranked ahead of Tyson Fury, but that's just me. Nevertheless, let's see this video of Francis Ngannou sparring, training for this fight. I got to see it for the first time. Let me take a look. Hmm. Okay, I don't like the jab. It's kind of soft. And we know ain't nothing soft about Francis Ngannou. Okay, double jab right there. Okay, all right. See, the problem is Tyson Fury ain't going to let you get that close. He's going to use that reach. Okay, let's see. Now, Francis Ngannou is powerful. Look at Tyson. Oh, uh, okay, let's see that. Yeah, he's got, Francis Ngannou got a lot of power now. If he hits Tyson Fury, oh, yes. Okay, I don't think that's bad. Uh, people talking about like he can't. Well, first of all, we all know Francis Ngannou can punch. What I'm pleased at is that we're seeing him throw straights. He's not throwing haymakers and throwing wild and leaving himself open to miss. And then Tyson Fury catches him. But I just don't believe a guy that's used to using his fist, his arms, his legs, wrestling, kicking, etc. I just don't believe that you can turn around and get in a boxing ring with the likes of Tyson Fury. Now, if Tyson Fury is smart, he ain't going to play with him the way Floyd Money Mayweather played with Conor McGregor. Because Floyd Money Mayweather literally predicted to me he was just going to get in Conor McGregor's face, make him push off to throw punches because that's what strikers love to do. He's going to wear him out, circle him around the ring enough times, and by the fourth or fifth round, he said Conor McGregor's not going to have any legs and he'll be there for the pickings. That's exactly what happened. In the case of Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury can't afford to keep him around. He's got too much power. You got to get rid of him. You just have to. You just have to. Last item on the docket. Tyreek Hill, superstar, because he is a superstar. Lord of mercy, fastest man in the NFL, running 24 miles an hour. Tyreek Hill. I don't know if y'all saw this the other day, but he was doing an interview and somebody asked him his career aspirations after football. Look at what Tyreek Hill had to say when asked that question. Nah, when I retire, bro, I really want to be a porn star, though, bro. Like, dead serious. First, my response to that. You know, a long time ago, long, 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 long time ago. You know, I, I, I know a lot of people that had those aspirations. And most men who say they never watched porn are lying. Whether I have or not, it's none of your damn business. So for Tyreek Hill to admit something like this, you sort of incriminate yourself because if you got a woman in your life and you're talking about having aspirations of being a porn star, 
chances are you already been practicing. You already been practicing. You know what I'm saying? And that's not a crime. It's not a crime. But you already been practicing if you say something like that. Now, in fairness to Tyreek Hill, because it's not a story I brought up, it's not a story I asked, I'm quite sure it's not a story that anybody, uh, an angle that anybody expected Tyreek Hill to take. But nevertheless, once he took it, it created news near South Beach. So much so that Tyreek Hill had to backpedal as fast as he runs those routes for Tua Tungvaloa. Listen to what he said when approached by it by the fourth estate, meaning the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of my teammates are hating on me right now. You feel <laughs> me? But I was joking. I was definitely joking. That's something that I, I don't want to do. I was just joking. You know, because obviously I was playing a game with, with a good friend of mine, Mike Evans, and I, I don't want to do this. Really? Uh, you, you, you joking. You joking, huh? Okay. All right. You know, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've I've heard of, of a few names, you know, people like Alexis, Texas. I mean, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. But, you know, I mean, I've heard of some names. But that's just not something that, you know, you should admit. And to backtrack and to say you were joking, here's the other problem with it, Tyreek Hill. Nobody believes you. And you know why? Because you're in South Beach. <laughs> That's why. If anybody wanted to have a proclivity of being a bit promiscuous, South Beach would be one of the top places they wanted to, dare I say, engage in such activities. So nobody's believing you. But then again, it's not a crime. You can be what you want to be. This is America. Can't knock you with so much for that, Tyreek Hill. Can't knock you with so much for that. Ain't for everybody. I certainly would never want to do that myself. But can't knock you. Can't knock you, bro. Coming up, I got some stuff to get into. Yeah, somebody brought up stuff about marriage and what women should do when it come to marriage. I saw it in the shade room. Well, damn it, I'm going to address it. I'm going to address it. But not before I get to my man, Jamel Chalo. He is the reigning, defending, undisputed, super welterweight champion of the world. Moving up not one, but two weight classes to take on the reigning, defending, undisputed super middleweight champion of the world and Saul Canelo Alvarez this Saturday night in Las Vegas. That man with a tall task ahead of him. His name again is Jamel Chalo. He's up next with George Truly right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Be right back in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show. It is an honor and a privilege to have my next guest today. He is currently the undisputed super welterweight champion of the world who's racked up an impressive 35 wins, 19 coming by knockout. 
but he'll try to add one more to that total when he takes on the one and only Canelo Alvarez this Saturday night in Las Vegas. Please welcome the one and only Jamel Charlo. What's going on, man? How are you, bro? How's everything? Life is good. Can't complain. Ready to fight. Well, first of all, first order of business. Thank you again for coming on first take a few months ago, my man. I, I got good ratings. I got yeah. good ratings. When you yeah. when you showed up, I got good ratings for that. So I want to thank you for that. All right. Um, you got a big fight without question, the biggest fight of your career coming up this Saturday night. How are you feeling right now? First things first. You know, I, I feel good at the current moment. You know, uh, every day get closer. Uh, you know, you probably lose a good 30 minutes or an hour of sleep because, you know, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking and I'm um, just ready to get it on. When they talk about Jamel Charlo, you've heard the noise. You're moving up two weight classes uh, to fight one of the greatest fighters in the world today in Canelo Alvarez. A lot of people are looking at you. You're a huge underdog for this fight simply because you're undersized. That's what they say to that. You say what? Um, If, if, if you know how to bet um, and I'm such an underdog, take a chance. Cause I'm taking one. We all going to be risky in this thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm no pushover. And so you got a good chance of coming out. Fortunately. To beat Canelo Alvarez, what does Jamel Charlo have to do? You know, I got to stick to my game plan. I really got to listen to my coaches. I got to um, adapt as, uh, immediately and um, do what he – take him out of doing what he want to do. Put him in a dogfight. Uh, put him into a fight where uh, you just make it, make it hard for him. If it's chasing me down or if it's trying to push me back, whatever his objective is, just completely stay on top of it. Um, stay focused the whole fight. When people, you know, when you've talked to people about this fight, Jamal, you, you, you've said this is something that you've wanted for a long time. We were all under the impression. And by the way, you called out ESPN for this and you were right to do so. I work for ESPN on my day job for crying out loud. And I know you were absolutely right to call us out because I actually thought he was supposed to bite your brother. That was the, that was the, the super middleweight. It wasn't supposed to be you. And you stepped in to come to the rescue because your brother couldn't fight and stuff like that. And you were like, nah, it was always me. It was always me that was supposed And I said, damn it, I'm one of those people who said that dumb nonsense. I stand corrected. I was wrong. He's right. He would know. Yeah. You, wanted, you wanted Canelo all of these years. Why did you want him so badly? Of all the fighters, why him? Well, you know, at the time, we was both at the same weight division. Okay. Um, kind of domain at our weight division. Uh, Canelo was a champion. He was holding a few titles. And then as he moved up and made some changes, well, I always had the WBC. Um, I was the next current champion after Mayweather for the WBC. And so after that, I, I, I realized that, you know, even, even at the current moment, there's nothing that, I can really get out there to prove to anybody else at 154. Why not take the biggest and the, the the hungriest dog that the world says is the greatest fighter in the face of boxing? I could go and continue to fight uh, mandatories and challengers and people that want to just get it on, you know. But give me that opportunity to 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 front front line in boxing, but it is to become the best fighter in the world by fighting somebody like Canelo Alvarez. So it's like, you got to go through him first if you want to be the frontliner. Set it up, please. That's that's kind of the mindset. 
we're going to get in there. We're going to train our ass off. We're going to be a dog and we're going to fight. We're going we're gonna to see where, what I'm made out of. Why did you not convince him to come down to 160? Why you got to go up two weight classes? I understand coming up one. I understand that. But why you have to come up two? How come you couldn't get him to come down to 160? Um, I like that question. I think it's, uh, man, I think it would have extended negotiations. Okay. And, and I, and I, and, and I would have been passed up on that opportunity. And mm. if it was something like just making a fight happen at 168, so well be it, go ahead and go for it. You know, I didn't want to be the guys that's making negotiations hard or, 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 or Jamil pulled out. You having a critic say, oh, he's scared to fight. He this and that. Because th- th- at the end of the day, they didn't even know it was going to be me. So mm-hmm. with me taking the opportunity, me taking a chance, and went from, from coming from 154 to fight 168, that you know, I'm a man of my word. I'm a dog. And I'm really willing to get in there and fight anybody. And with that being said, I can just do what I want. After I beat Canelo. I'm going to throw a trick question. It's not a trick question, but I promise you, I don't think somebody else has asked you this question. If you had known that what would happen to Errol Spence against Terrence Crawford, if you had known that would have happened ahead of time, ahead of committing to mm-hmm. fighting Canelo, mm-hmm. which fight would you have taken first? Well, I wouldn't fight Errol Spence. Because no, 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 no. I apologize. I'm talking about considering what Ter- er- Terrence Crawford did to Errol Spence. You would have fought Terrence Crawford. You would have had the luxury. You would have been in a position where you could have stayed at 154, fought Terrence Crawford or moved up to fight Canelo. Which fight would have been more attractive to you with those two scenarios? I think the best fight is the Canelo fight. OK. Um, Terrence Crawford is, you know, uh, it's coming from. Top Rank. Top Rank is a different promotional company that works with ESPN, so their audience is a little different. Canelo okay. is coming from the world of Mexico, the, the country yeah. behind him. You know, right. two Americans can get it on all day, but when you put up America versus a top USA fighter like myself, you, you're going to get fireworks. You're going to get a lot of people that come out. You're going to get a bigger paycheck. And, you know, what I do, you, what, you know, I thought your question was going to be even different. Um, right. You know, if 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 the belts wasn't so, you know, important at 147, you know, I almost wish that they would have fought this fight at 154, but fought mm-hmm. for the 147 pound belts that they own. Right. It would have been a different fight, I feel, you know, mm. but, you know, and then, you know, I don't want to be the holding every, every, anybody up, you know, Earl, my stable mate. And if I'm at 154, I kind of feel like for the last few years that we've been kind of like, you know, respecting each other weight division and not playing that 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 side of the field where it's like, oh, I, I don't want to move up because I'm going to step on my boy's toes. But mm-hmm. I wish that it was a way that they could have negotiated a, a 140, a 154 pound mm-hmm. title before the right. 47 pound belts or not even, tr- even 49. Yeah. It's just something other than 147. I get it loud and clear. We getting that a little bit later, but this is about you. And I got to ask you, as we sit up here and we get set for you to fight Canelo Alvarez Saturday night in Vegas, I what I am happy about 
is the fact that you're getting a mega fight like this. I think both you and your brother have been under-recognized. Your brother's undefeated, super middleweight champion. I know he's got his own issues, and I'll talk to him about that because he wants to talk to me about that. We'll talk about that at a later date. But when it comes to you, I also felt like, listen, y'all been underappreciated. And I love the fact that you in this moment. How much does this moment mean to you just simply for getting the chance to have it, to get the chance to be on a big stage like this? Because this is the first time it's been on this level. I just think that it's, it's, it's not more important than winning a fight, but okay. it's very, really, really close because, you know, it's not. It's millions of boxers out there, but it's not a lot of people that want that that gets an opportunity like this to 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 make a general generational wealth change in their life, to make uh, a significant amount of money, but plus be awarded something as great as making history, and and, and I think that's what's what's the the breaker right there. You know, this fight is so important and it's so good to to have because I'm making history. You know. Two undisputed mm-hmm. fighters fighting each other. This is something that has never happened even before Muhammad Ali was the 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 Jackie Robinson, not, not Jackie yep. Robinson. <laughs> Jackie Muhammad Robinson. Ali, Joe Lewis, Sugar the Ray list Robinson. goes on and on. Sugar Ray Sugar Robinson, Robinson, all of these guys. Yeah. But the, the 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 four belt era. This is the first time two undisputed champions are fighting one another. Moving up to fourteen pounds, one fifty four to one sixty eight. How difficult has that been for you? Well, it ain't been that difficult, you know. Uh, it's easy to make 168, but what's what's a, what's crazy is you got to be 168, but you got to also not just be out of shape and fat and all of that kind of stuff. You got to be 168 and strong, putting on the muscle. So training camp was way harder because gaining weight, gaining pounds, legs sore, lifting weights, and, and then have to, you know, get back in the ring and not feel slow, you know. And that's what mm-hmm. I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of like – Gain a little bit, a little bit heavier than sixty-eight, and then drop the weight so I can feel faster. Mm. Your speed and power. Where's that going to be at Saturday night? Since you're going into the ring, two weight classes heavier. I believe it'll be at an all-time high. Um, my quickness and everything, because of the fact that I'm comfortable, I'm gonna have power. I think it'll be at an all-time high. What worries you about Canelo Alvarez? I, I mean, I'm not not too much worried. Uh, I just know that he he's strong. He brings a lot of pressure, you know, and a dog fight is, is on his way. Um, when when you talk about watching fights, I imagine you go back, you watch films of some of his older fights, some of his past fights, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, uh, against Triple G, against Caleb Plan, against uh, Kovalev, against others. Is there something that you've seen in these past fights of his that made you say, okay, I could mirror this guy or this guy or that guy doing what they did to him and they that could that could leave him vulnerable? I think that it just, you know, sticking to how I box and you try to go mimic somebody and do what they do and how that how he did it, it mm-hmm. you you set yourself up in a world of trouble. So mm-hmm. I try my best to just see what I do better and then break it down to what I see he did that that I could exploit and 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 gain grounds on. Um I, I feel like, you know, some things in the ring that he don't really like his opponents to do. And 
him being Canelo, to me, spoiled, successful guy, he don't he ain't gonna want that fight to be that way. Mm-hmm. I gotta make it that way. Let's talk about you for a second. What has life been like for you over the past few years as you've waited for a moment like this? Put in your words what the struggle has been like, just constantly winning, but waiting for this opportunity that seemed at times like it would never come because you weren't getting the chance to get in the ring with the caliber of fighter like like Alvarez. Man, it felt like I would never get opportunity to fight Canelo Alvarez or they'll see the Carlos. I thought we'd have moved on from that. So I never even thought this opportunity would present, present itself, but now it has, you know, the last couple of years. I feel like now I'm more calm. I get to relax because I'm getting what I want. You know, like a like a kid at a kidney store. He getting what he want. He gonna walk around and just pick pick his items up and do it the way he want. But I'm um before you know I was always a point to prove. You know, I, I feel like I, I'm in a great win win situation right now, and I still I, I got a that chip on my shoulder that'll never leave, and I don't gotta go out and prove that to nobody. That chip gonna always be there. That hunger gonna always be there. At first, you kind of got to make it known that you hungry. And that's the way I did it at 154. I wanted to be known that I was hungry. But it didn't have to be the Canelo. It could have been somebody else at the top, top, top. But just to prove that, you know, put a, put a big challenge. You knock all of these other guys out, which I've done. That's how I became a champion, knocking them out. But then it's like, you still ain't done nothing. So what do I got to do to prove to y'all that I'm really who I say I am in this boxing world? And, oh, be the best guy. Who the best guy? You know, and that that's what lead us here. But was this something about you that you felt was holding you back from getting that opportunity? Because you do seem a bit changed. You seem a bit calmer. I don't know if it's because of family. Is it because of friends? Is it because, you know, you just been climbing the charts and knocking people out and you knew that eventually the time would come, but you do seem significantly more calm than you were a few years ago. Am I wrong in saying that? Well, I mean, as I got older, I got wiser, you know, I became a little bit more patient with things and, um, you know, I'm not taking, I'm not, I'm not, to, uh, I, I, you know, certain things that you want so bad when you're young and when you get older, you don't even like care for them type of things. So, mm-hmm. you know, at the earlier age, I was hungrier, feistier, wanted this because I wanted what I wanted, you know, and now that I'm older and I'm wiser, like, we don't need that. Like, let's keep it moving. Like, you know, and, and now I'm at a point that I, I want to prove a point in the ring and boxing, nothing outside of boxing matters. And so, um, I got everything I want, a family, kids, cars, I own my house, my cars, I own my life, I own my gym, I own a community of boxers and I'm satisfied with that. So now I want to prove to my guys that are underneath me how to be great. I want to show them routes and, and ways to make it in our sport. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the same way about your brother, meaning that that's something that you want to prove to him as well? Because he's been pretty open about what struggles that he's had and how he's got to get his life on track or whatever. What do you think? I know what it'll mean to you to win this fight. What would it mean to him for you to win this fight? And what do you think it would do for him? I just know that my brother would be real proud of me. You know, I think my brother, um, I don't want to, it's not a proven a point to him because um, mm-hmm. we can say, who the better Charlo with 
without even a Canelo fight. Yeah. And, you know, my brother's my brother. He's good. But I always felt like they loved me. Was little old me was better than them. That just right. the competitiveness in me, and so uh, and I felt like anything he do, I can do it better. And so mm-hmm. and that's just how I am. And that's outside, not just my brother. That's anybody. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I know that if 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 it can motivate him, I'll be really proud of that. I want that. You know, if it can inspire him to want to 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 get on that roller coaster that we on, but I think. It's in due time. He'll be back in the game of boxing and 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 fighting some of the top dogs. You went Saturday night against Canelo Alvarez. What will this do for your career in he your ranked, eyes? He ranked me as one of the top fighters in our era of, you know, especially put me on a pound for pound list one or two. It'll rank me as a, a great, all-time great. My my uh career will be remembered and rememberable. So I think that a fight with Canelo takes me way far above above my horizon i I don't know what what it can do for me so um i'm just expecting to be somewhere in a whole different atmosphere that other boxers are are not are you moving up from 154 because you want to fight canelo or i know that's true but is it just because of that or is that a weight class that you hope to fight at in the future 168 160 come down to 160 whatever you view yourself as a middleweight from this day forward is that where you are well, I felt like because I became undisputed at 154, it's like, a, you know, playing just a checker. You can move that king across the board in different areas. And I and I feel that because I became undisputed, I have the ability to move in different areas and, uh, and weight categories from 60 to 54, 68. I don't want to make anything uh, definite at all. So I don't know if I'm going to stay at 68 or if I'm going to go down to 60. Or am I going to domain at a certain weight division? Because like I said, you know, I got my twin brother at 160. Then I mean, I'm going to only become unified champ. Uh, objectively, everything is to always to become undisputed in each weight in that division that I'm in. And so when undisputed at 54 and just bounce back the next fight and get undisputed at 68, that's the objective. Mm. I'm doing it. Terrence Crawford, who just beat your boy Errol Spence Jr., uh-huh. says that he wants the winner of this fight Saturday night between you and Canelo Alvarez. Uh, if you win this fight, are you going to fight Terrence Crawford next? I mean, of course I would love to fight Terrence Crawford next. Um, we can make it happen. We can make it meet in the middle, wherever they want to meet at. Um, I think I'm the best fighter in the world and I'm prove that Terrence Crawford is definitely a, a great fighter. He does everything right. Uh, and so it's another fight, another tough fight, another way of working past everything and uh, if negotiations go as well, we can make the Terrence Crawford fight. But I'm pretty sure Canelo's going to want that rematch. And, um, you know, we, we, we'll give that to him. And then where about Terrence Crawford? Last couple of questions. Yeah. Describe yourself as a fighter from this perspective. I look at you and the one, uh, other than your size, other than your size, meaning you're moving up two weight classes. So you got a lot of heart. You're coming. I've watched many of your fights, not all of them. Your 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 boxing IQ is off the charts. You can fight, bro. Mm-hmm. I'm saying to myself, is he gonna back up? Is he gonna box and make Canelo make Canelo come for him? Because that's when, to me, 
that's not Canelo's strength. Or you're going to stand there and be like, wait a minute, I'm going to catch this brother. I'm going to take him out. What's the mentality of Jamel Charlo coming into this fight? I want to do a little bit of everything. So this camp I worked on, I worked on setting perfect shots up. I worked on my ability of moving around the ring. I worked on my ability of punching with uh, hard shots and soft shots, changing angles, uh, just a real rough, rugged situation. I worked on staying on the inside. I worked on getting back on the inside, the outside, changing it up. It's, it's mm-hmm. They don't know. It's a very high dynamics that they won't be able to, you know, they nobody can mimic. A complete hybrid. Well, listen, I said I, I don't really have any more questions to ask because I got to admit, I'm just waiting for this fight, my brother. I'm just yeah. waiting for it. I'm I'm waiting for I'm rooting for you. I, I'm okay. not going to front. I'm worried because you're moving up two weight classes for crying out loud. I'm worried about that. But I know you can fight. Yeah. I know you can fight. I, be, I believe in you. Decision, KO, what you looking for? Uh, man, I want to. I just want to fight tough, hard for 12 rounds straight. If that creates a decision, that creates it. If if he lasts, he lasts. Um, I know you worry about the the, the two way division, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't if I was you. I think I got it. But you know, this is what taking the risk is. You got to do that in order to be successful in boxing. Yeah, you really think you'd get a decision? I don't think you'd get a decision with all them with all them folks from Mexico, man. I, I really don't. I, I, I worry I about that. I got to win the rounds convincingly, all of them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, and I, I strive for it. Hopefully I can get pull off right. more rounds than, than he can. Yes. That's the part right. of the decision. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm rooting for you. And the bottom line is, man, you, you, you deserve this chance. You deserve it. You've earned it. You've waited long enough for it, to be quite honest with you. And, and by the way, the only thing that I've missed, because I watched all the all access stuff and everything like that. It, I, I have to admit it. It was all right, but it was nothing like you when you were going at Tony Harrison. Boy, did nothing, you. Nothing oh, my did. Lord. It nothing was nothing did, like man. that. Yeah. <laughs> I wish Tony Harrison had a all access. We didn't even have one for that. And it was still rowdy. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It was yeah. bananas. You wanted that bro. You, know, you got to give Canelo the respect he deserved. You know, he's a king in the, in the game of boxing. We can't really talk too much shit to each other because, you know, we both undisputed. We both did what right. we had to do. So now it's all about, you know, proving to the world who the best. All right. The one and only Jamel Charlo, the undisputed welterweight champion of the world, moving up two weight classes to try and claim the undisputed middleweight championship, super middleweight championship of the world. The one and only Jamel Charlo right here with Stephen A. on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Appreciate you, my brother. Thank you so much, man. The best of luck to you. Thank you. All right. I'll see you soon. Yep. No doubt. We'll be right back with more of the Stephen A. Smith Show in a minute. Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show. You know, another story that I wanted to touch on. And first of all, let me say this. Thanks again to Jamel Charlo. I wish him nothing but the best. Again, I'm going to emphasize I'm a bit worried about him, to say the least, um, because he's undersized. He's moving up two weight classes, and Canelo's a monster. And I've seen him stalk guys that are just smaller or didn't have the power uh, to take him out, and he just went after them. And that's how I look at him here. With Charlo, Charlo, I know has power. He's knocked out his last five opponents, et cetera, but he's the smaller guy moving out. I don't care how he looks when they're standing in front of each other. He's moving up two weight classes. He's moving up two weight classes, so I'm worried about him. I just hope that he can box and move because to me, that's how he beats Canelo. If he's standing right there in front of him, I think Canelo's too strong, too strong, too savvy for him. I just... That's just what I suspect. But boy, I hope I'm wrong because I'm rooting for Charlo. 
all day, every day. I'm rooting for him. No disrespect to my Hispanic brothers and sisters out there, but I just like the Charlos. I just do. All right. Anyway, let me move on. Legendary rock star, Mick Jagger. No. Remember the comedians used to tease me how big his lips were and they take off a hat and they're like, that's how big his lips were. Well, that Mick Jagger, okay? Did y'all know he's worth about $500 million? He is. Not surprising. Did you know it also seems like he's not about to give any of it to his eight children? Not a dime. Not a dime. Now, let's keep in mind. This is, let's, let's understand what we're talking about here with Mick Jagger. Jagger teased that the money should go to charity, according to an article in the New York Post, instead of his offspring. He also told the Wall Street Journal, quote, the children don't need $500 million to live. You maybe do some good in the world. Jagger makes over $1.5 million a year in Spotify streams alone. Collectively, the Rolling Stones are worth nearly $2 billion. They've sold over 240 million albums worldwide. Here's what I would say to Mick Jagger. Damn, my man. You see, perhaps he spoiled his children as they were growing up. And you should. You should. They didn't ask to be brought into this world. And whatever life you can provide, provide it. You see his children up there, ages 52 to age six. Now, how are you going to sit up there and say a six-year-old don't need it? Come on, man. In today's day and age, the 24 to 25-year-old, how about them? Now, you get in your 30s, eh, 50s, okay, maybe. You can leave them something, though. You can leave them something. How about leaving them 100 million and giving the other 400 million away? You are their daddy. They all bear your last name. I don't, un there are times that I don't understand what's wrong with some men. And I'm a man and a daddy. I don't understand it. And now don't get me wrong. And I want to emphasize this too. There's a difference between a father and a daddy. Okay. A father, you have pro, pro you know, co-create. Co That's what you did. You played a role. As my father once said about me, I gave him my sperm. He actually literally said that. When my cousin asked him, what have you done for Stephen? He said, I gave him my sperm. It's in my book, Straight Shooter. Check it out. He did say that. You have some men who are like that. Okay, that's a father. They ain't a daddy. A daddy is somebody that takes care of you. Provides for you. Protects you. Takes care of you. That's a daddy. Anybody can be a father. But that's a daddy. But once you are dad or daddy, got a responsibility to do the best you can for your children. And if you got $500 million, yeah, you don't have to give them everything, but you could give them something. They shouldn't be in this world having to struggle being your child. You didn't struggle. You were chilling, Mick Jagger. 
You were living your life. Making money, traveling the world. Having your pick of the litter at an abundance of things that you want. You lived a life of affluence. You weren't living in the projects once you made this money. They are your children. So I don't agree with that at all. And that's one thing that I want to say about the difference between a father and a daddy. But I also want to tell children out there this. Particularly when it comes to dads. It doesn't mean much if you don't listen. Like if you want to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. and You don't give a damn about what your parents say, specifically your dad's. Then you can't turn around and come with your hand out when things go awry. When you didn't want to listen. Now, that doesn't mean the dad gets to completely ignore you and give you nothing because I don't think that's right. But am I going to be more favorable or do I find that it should be more favorable to a child that listens? That obeys, that receives counsel? that strives to be the best that they could possibly be, not just for themselves, but in representing their parents. Yes, I think that child should enjoy a few more luxuries as an adult than a hard-headed one who's nothing but trouble. That I agree with. But none of them should just be left out in the cold. Come on, Mick Jagger. You better than that. You better than that, my brother. Come on, man. Moving on to my last subject of the day. You know, I have um, the person, the video that I'm about to show you in the interest of full disclosure is a friend of mine. Her name is Ebony K. Williams. Um, she's worked in media for quite a long time. I believe she's a lawyer by trade, highly intelligent, very beautiful woman inside and out. I've known her for years. And she used to work on Fox News. She's an author. Uh, she's done a lot of great things throughout the years. And when she opens her mouth, I think she's somebody that people need to listen to because she has things to say. And she is far from ignorant, highly intelligent, um, brilliant, I might add, in so many different ways. And I have so much respect for her. But she said something on social media that I felt the need to address. Because, as we all know, it's basically being said that black women, black women should be looking uh, for their wedding rings. Now, I bring up black women in particular because this video is from the Shade Room. I believe that's where Ebony Williams posted it. And that's a website that's inundated with black folks specifically for the most part females with a lot of different videos issues perspectives takes etc etc and my nephew just tipped me off to it and I remember I, I took something from them last week and I said listen any week I find something from the shade room that I like I'm gonna bring that up because guess what I was I'm a, I'm, I'm a man and I was raised by four by, by five black women the greatest mother that I think has ever existed and four older sisters who I love dearly. Not to mention, I got about nine nieces. So I've been surrounded by black women all my life. 90 of my hundred living relatives as of a few years ago were women. 
needless to say, I've dated a lot throughout my life. So, I mean, I've, women have been an integral part of my life for quite a long time. Pretty much my entire life in one capacity or another. Having said that, I wanted to play this video and I'm going to tell you, I beg your indulgence. The video is two minutes long but it's worth listening to by women and by men, even beyond the black community, but especially in the black community. Ebony K. Williams, she works for the Griot. She works for the Griot right now. Outstanding talent, highly intellectual, very beautiful, smart, really good people, by the way. I've known her for years. She's a friend. She said this. I can't wait till y'all see what she said. She works for the Griot now as well. But she used to work on Fox News, too. That's how I learned. To, I got to know her. Good people. Listen to what she had to say here. The reality that needs to be said out loud is that as black men age, their desirability increases. Thus, their optionality of women is always expanding. And the exact opposite is true for black women. Mm -hmm. As we age, doesn't matter how much money we accumulate, our degrees or professional accolades, the reality is, is that our marriage and partnership market value is depreciating with every passing year. No matter how good we look, no matter how fit we are, men are still seeing primarily our presumed dwindling fertility as a knock against us. And speaking of fertility, that is another reason that I want younger black women to seek marriage and partnership in college or right after if that's what they choose because the number of college-educated black men are so low when compared to black college-educated women that we're all going to be targeting the same small pool of men. And as we heard With today, stats. on most campuses, there's like seven black women students for every one black man student. Y'all do the math. So here's my advice. If you are a young black woman in college and you know in your heart and in your head that you want to prioritize family, I suggest that you simultaneously pursue that MRS degree right along with that BA or JD. Because the handful of black college age men that actually do desire to get married soon and they do share that value system and family is a priority for them too. Y'all, that is an incredibly small pool and it's shrinking as you get older. And by the time you reach my age, 40, you will be faced with different choices relating to life partnership and motherhood. Now, I'm not saying that delaying marriage or motherhood is a bad option, but it's one that comes with its own consequences. And our women deserve to know on the front end of their decision making instead of on the back half. All right. OK. I heard a lot of clear. Once again, she is a friend of mine. I've known her for years. Very, very proud of her and all that she has accomplished. Um, but we've debated from time to time. I have to say, Ebony is a bit slick here because there's a whole bunch of hedging that she put up in there, okay? And she covered herself quite well. There's very, very little wiggle room to disagree with her. I have to say, she was very, very thorough in her explanation, particularly when she threw out the stats of seven to one females to males in college, enrolled in colleges. That's a very good point. And she talked about if you so choose the operative words there. I get it. I get it. 
But there, and I'm not going to put words in her mouth because Ebony is a highly intelligent woman who can express herself anytime she wants to. She knows that and thoroughly, I might add. But I think there are some things that need to be addressed here. <clears throat> Number one, I'm glad she brought up women and choice because that matters. Because yes, it is absolutely true that young men usually are not looking to get married at a young age. And what's not being said is that we're strongly advised not to get married at very young age. We just gonna call it like it is, okay? We're just gonna be real about it. Men are visual creatures. We covet what we see. What we like in front of our eyes matters. And they come in all shapes and sizes. Some men care about ethnicity. Some men don't. Some men care about money. Some men don't. Some men care about what level of education you have. Some men don't. Okay? I know brothers that have no desire to be with sisters, meaning black sisters. Now, obviously, I am not one of those people. I love being my sisters. Make no mistake about it. Let's just say my track record proves that. But I know brothers who think differently. They love the Latinas. No shame in that. Guilty as charged. Don't mind them either. But you have others that they want to go the other route, completely different. They want to be with white women. I know some of those. That's their prerogative. There's a lot of beautiful white women out there, highly accomplished, highly intellectual, highly attractive. All right, so be it. That's their flavor. We got some that me, I would like you to think about Megan Good. Sinai Lathan, J-Lo, Beyonce. I'm talking type, meaning figures, because men are visual creatures. Just get over it. It'll never change. It'll never change. Just get over it. Y'all keep thinking that when they talk about the Bible, when he told Adam, don't eat it a forbidden fruit, he was talking about fruit all y'all want to. Y'all keep thinking that. Y'all keep that. Hold on to that belief. Knock yourself out. Okay. When they say be fruitful and multiply, you thought they were talking about eating apples and oranges too? Think, people. Stay with me. The point that I'm trying to make is, well, you got all of that going on. Everybody got their taste. I brought you up my taste. I look at Will Smith. If you look at Jada Pinkett Smith, and, I'm, and I think she's a very beautiful woman, here or no here. You know, I'm not making fun of her or anything. I've always thought that Jada Pickett was a was a cutie, a very cute woman. Go look. I just I bring her up because I was just watching the old movie Low Down Dirty Shame with Keenan Ivory Wayans and her the other day because I thought that's what a really funny movie. She looked like she weighed about seventy five pounds. My boy Pooley would eat her, like literally take her like. The character Fat Bastard in, in Austin Powers and the spy who shagged me and stuff like that. And eat her. She's so small. Pulley would look like look at her like she's a burger. She's entirely too small for him. 
but so are the women I like. To Pooley, my boy Pooley, again, he's going to come on his podcast, by the way. He's going to come on. Y'all think I'm lying. You ever saw Norbit, the movie Norbit? You remember the character Rasputia? That's Pooley. That's Rodney Cowan. I'm giving his first and last name. That's who he is. Now, I don't see him, but once or twice a year, that's my brother. I've loved him. I've known him since I was one years old. Love him with all my heart. That's my brother. But let me tell you something. We can't hang out. Now, those women he like. Now, he's trying to settle down, you know, stuff like that. But you can't bring a woman under 250 in Pooley's presence. He doesn't even want to look at her. Everybody got their taste. And then you have, you know, women who's got, who are educated. You got some men. I need a woman on my level. I'm rich. I need her to be rich. I'm educated. I need her to have a college degree and stuff like that. I'm a businessman. I need her to be a, a businesswoman. You got some men that got it all. And they'd marry a bus driver. They don't give a damn. Can women say the same? I'm asking. I'm not making any accusations. I'm asking the question. Because when Ebony K. Williams says the kind of statements that she made, although she didn't flat out say it, and I'm not accusing her of even meaning it or believing it, I'm getting the impression at the very least that it's the culpability of men. Ladies, get with somebody that, you know, is about that. Well, you ain't going to find dudes that's about marriage. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you why you're not going to find women. You're not going to find dudes that are about marriage. You know why you're not going to find it? Because men are not really interested in marriage. What they're interested in is you. And because it's you, they're willing to get married. You want to get married just to say you marry? You want to get married so you can have somebody home? If you have any kind of confidence in yourself as a man, it's not about marriage. It's about her. And because it's her, you're willing to say, I want you for the rest of my life. I can't even imagine being with anyone but you. When I think about who I want to sleep next to, who I want to wake up next to, who I want to cook for me, who I want to cook for, who I want to take out to the movies, who I want to take out to dinner, who I want to go on vacation with, who I don't mind opening my checkbook to take care of and to look out for and to cover and vice versa. Sweetheart, you the one. It ain't about living with you. It's about the fact that I can't live without you. That's a guy. Are y'all that way? Ebony? Are y'all that way? I'm talking to women, not to you specifically, Ebony. I'm just speaking to women. That's the question that you have to ask yourself. See, when men can be or come across as a bit chauvinistic, never an excuse to be misogynistic, but to be chauvinistic, meaning I want a woman to play this role or this role or that role in my life. When you are a woman and you are dating a man, understand that the things that you may capitulate to, you're not capitulating to it for a man. You're capitulating to it for your man, the man you love, the man you trust, the man you want, the man you crave. That guy is the guy 
you're making adjustments and modifications and alterations for, dare I say. That is what y'all have to get. And when you're getting that, when you understand that it's that person that you're making that exception for, that's not just anybody. That's why I'm challenging Ebony on what she's saying. Because if your mentality is to have to be married when you're young, because you think your cachet dwindles as you get older, the encouragement to get into that situation when you're young, that means you're after something other than him. And the second he suspects that he wants nothing to do with you because men with our egos, we don't want you wanting us because of something. We want you wanting us because you want us. It's something about us. It's the crust of us that you can't get enough of. That's what we want. And when we suspect that it's something other than that, we going to bounce. We looking for the next person. We ain't got time. Who got time to be a consolation prize? Who got time? And I'm not talking about to another dude, to another uh, a dude or anything like that. I'm talking about consolation pride to your ones. Well, I really like you, but I really want marriage. I really like you, but I really want a kid early. I really like you, but I really want to have this before I start my career. Well, that don't have anything to do with him. He's a tool and a conduit to utilize at your discretion for as long as you need him to get what you ultimately want. When in fact, he wants to be the one you want. And you know why you can't fault a man for that? Because that's what you want him to feel about you. So it's only right. So in the end, all I'm saying is understand that. When you're encouraging some girl to, 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 to get married when you're young, let, 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 let's, let's call it what it is. What if he, what if you wanted to get married, but for some reason the brother went broke? You sure you ain't going to change your mind? What if you looked at him and you desired him in the whole bit and you wanted him and you had marriage and all of this other stuff, the visions of grandeur in your eyes and in your brain and in your heart. And dare I say, you hooked up with him and he couldn't get it done. Now on that note, I'm definitely not talking about myself. I'm, somebody else but if you were if that is what you encountered where would that leave you still want to get married still want to still want to get with a dude and commit your life to a dude wanting marriage with a dude that couldn't do anything but tickle you as opposed to other things We got to be careful about what we're saying, what we're saying to ladies. Just a thought. My attitude is all of that stuff that Ebony just said absolutely applies. If you believe or once you believe you have found the man you know unequivocally that you want. That guy. Without a doubt, that you know you want, 
Everything Ebony said is absolutely correct. But that can't be preceded by youth in college, biological clocks ticking, career aspirations, and all of this other stuff. Because if that comes before knowing definitively you truly want him, he will spot it and he will cancel your ass. Whether it be directly by breaking up with you or indirectly by finding other places to go until he finds what he wants. Remember I said that. Remember I said that. This your boy Stephen A talking to you. And I can give the advice because guess what? I'm experienced enough too and I'm old enough too. And I ain't never been married because I didn't want to get married. I was engaged twice, but I decided against it. And I will get married someday. I intend to. But when I feel it's right, not a second before. That's how I roll. That's how most men roll. It's just the truth. Questions on Twitter before I get on out of here. At Swanee Hypno, right? Are the Lions contenders or just playoff fodder? I think they're contenders. They got a quarterback in Jared Goff who minimizes mistakes, even though he threw an interception in the first quarter um, on Thursday night. The brother minimized mistakes. He went to a Super Bowl before. They got a running game with David Montgomery. They got receivers. Jamison Williams eventually will be back. And now this year they got a defense. And I love Coach uh, Campbell, Dan Campbell, and the coach he's infused in this franchise. They haven't won a division title since 1993. In that span, the Green Bay Packers have won 15 division titles. But they spanked the Green Bay last night. They beat them the last four times. They're 6-0 in their last six games against NFC North opponents. And they ain't playing. The Detroit Lions. I think they're one of the top four or five teams in the NFC. Got to look out for them. Next question. At Coach underscore S-O-O-S writes, did Portland purposely take a worse deal from Milwaukee despite Dame in Miami? I don't think we can say it's a worse deal. Having DeAndre Ayton and Drew Holiday and first-round picks, I don't think you can say it's a worse deal. Did they lie to Damian Lillard? That's the question. Did they lie to him by saying if he wanted to go to Miami, they would send him to Miami? Yes or no? That's the question. It's the only question that matters. Damian Lillard is in a better basketball situation. and got a chance to compete for a championship legitimately for the first time in his career. So we got to take that into consideration as well. We can't excoriate uh, Joe Cronin, the GM. We just can't do that. That's not fair. Um, from Hanatas Wish, H-I-N-A-T-A-S Wish. Hope I pronounced that correctly. If I didn't, I apologize. Are you making an appearance at Mania 40? What Mania 40? Is that WrestleMania 40? Um, I don't know yet. If Nick Khan and the crew for WWE asked me to attend, I'd be happy to, so long as I have the time. Question from at buy me those one X. Do you think the Eagles quarterback sneak is good for the NFL? No, I hate the rule. It's there to be utilized. They're not breaking rules. They're exploiting the rule. But I hate it. You shouldn't be allowed to just stuff everybody in like that. Nah, it's football. I get it. But you shouldn't be allowed to do that. You really, really shouldn't. And it could be dangerous because somehow, some way, people have to try to figure out a way to stop you. And who knows what they're going to do. Damage kneecaps, ankles, and everything else in between just to get around those plays. Got to be careful about that. Safety first. Question from at Big Baby Jonathan. Writes, who's the greatest sports athlete of all time? 
Bo Jackson's one consideration. Um, Jim Brown's another. Primetime Deion Sanders would be my choice. I just think that he's the greatest that I've ever seen. He was an all-state basketball player in high school. He was an all-world cornerback and kick and punt returner in college and the pros, not to mention playing wide receiver as well. Uh, the man I've never seen anybody like him. Then, and listen, remember when he was playing uh, football in the afternoon and then went and played a game at Yankee Stadium that night for the Yankees? Wasn't like he was some baseball player playing in the minor leagues. Played for the Atlanta Braves. Played for the New York Yankees. Did that, and on top of it all, was playing football as a superstar and the best in the game. Primetime Deion Sanders, to me, is probably the greatest. That's just how I feel about it. Time for me to get on out of here. I appreciate y'all time. Thank y'all so much. I hope y'all enjoy y'all week and keep on watching. Uh, this is the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. You can watch me at the very least every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday over the digital airwaves of YouTube. Please make sure to continue to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube. Just click the bell to get notified of all of our new content. And by the way, be sure to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestseller, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Keep the love coming, all right? Until next time, this is Stephen A. signing off. Peace and love. Enjoy your weekend. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. A-Rod and I host a show called The Deal, and it's all about the intersection of sports, business, and culture. Recently, we got to sit down with Stephen A. to talk about something a little different for him, his business. If I had to crystallize where business came to the forefront of my mind was when I got fired in 2009. There's a difference between making money and learning business. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts.